Hey, everybody, and welcome back in to Locked on Bama. Luke Robinson, that's me, and Jimmy Stein, that's him. Also, Mr. John Garcia, who is a recruiting specialist nationwide. Uh, he, You can hear him on the Crimson and Blue Chips podcast, which made its triumphant return today, didn't it? Or recently, didn't it, John? Yeah, you know, um, there's there's been a whole lot going on Uh you know, red tape, if you will, but uh, we, we've stumbled through some roadblocks, but we're we're hopefully back up and running, and, and what better time, right? Pretty big game on Saturday. Yeah, if you weren't going to be able to get a recruiting podcast up by this week, I think you could just shut her down until probably February. <laughs> uh, no so. Doubt. Huge, huge weekend coming up, and we're going to talk about that a lot, obviously, today on Locked on Bama. But I think first and foremost, we should just go ahead and knock out our predictions, Jimmy and John, because um, let's just get those out of the way, be done with it, and then we can talk about recruiting, which is what most people enjoy talking about more than anything anyway. So, John, as the guest, I'm going to let you go first and just go ahead and give us the big prediction for uh, – the game everybody's interested in, which of course is Minnesota and Penn State. (laughs) Yeah, P.J. Fleck, not going to win his first game after getting paid, but that's okay. Um, No, um, look, I I just think that obviously these teams are coming off of bye weeks and, and, you know, the offenses kind of speak for themselves. I don't think there's a ton of difference there. Um, But I do think that Alabama – offensively is willing to do something LSU has not shown yet this year. And that's play patient, run the ball and, and put together a drive. LSU is, is fast and furious. It's, it's weird to say, cause we haven't said that ever, but they're a quick strike team. They're like a big 12 offense. I mean, it's, it's wide open 50, 50 balls, back shoulder, vertical passing game, quick game, go, go, go. Um, which which often sacrifices, you know, the offensive line's run-blocking ability and, and the running back's consistency. And I think that has been uh, something that, that has been, you know, surprising for LSU this year. But I think Alabama, which can strike similarly offensively with the passing game, it is more willing to go slow, to run the football, establish that. And I think that is a big advantage for Alabama that basically the flexibility to say, okay, you want to go fast and have a shootout. We can do that. Or let's slow it down, run 22, run 24, a couple of 220 pound backs behind a massive downhill offensive line um, and, and make plays. And LSU's front seven, not, not the front seven of yesteryear over in Baton Rouge. So I think that's a really clear advantage for Alabama. Um, and then when you look at the defenses, I think the secondary depth, is so critical. Um, I mean, for LSU, my gosh, who is your nickelback? Is it Kerry Vincent? Who's playing dime? Is it Cordell Flott, you know, a freshman from down in Mobile? Because those are the guys who have to play in the slot. Those are the guys that have to deal with Waddle and Ruggs and the tight ends and the running backs out of the backfield, which, by the way, have been really good for Alabama. Najee Harris has been an excellent receiver, really, since, since he got on campus. Those are the guys that I'm like – there's a drop-off there. Obviously, um, Stingley on the outside, Fulton on the outside, excellent corners. But those in, interior guys, those nickel types, those underneath defenders, those secondary defenders, how do they deal with the magnitude of Alabama when it does want to spread you out? So we're saying Alabama has an advantage when it wants to run, and now 
when it wants to pass. So I just think that LSU is going to have a hard time keeping the points off of the board for Alabama. Conversely, I do think that LSU is going to be able to score some points, but the style of receiver for LSU, unlike Alabama, is big, strong, 50-50 ball. Well, look at the corners for Alabama. They're sort of equipped for that with Diggs and Sertain. So I do think there's a couple of real nitpicky ways where Alabama has two or three advantages get going into this game, in addition to the obvious Nick Saban has two weeks to prepare and has probably been preparing longer kind of thing, not to mention LSU's played some bigger games in Alabama, which I think helps them with experience but hurts them with exposure. They probably had to put a higher percentage of their best plays on tape compared to Alabama, which probably hadn't shown anything offensively yet. Uh, really diverse uh, or complex. So I think there's a lot of things rolling into Alabama's favor. The game's in Tuscaloosa. Vegas likes Bama, and, and Vegas knows what they're doing. So I think the Tide wins it, and I actually think Bama covers that that six-and-a-half-point spread. Man, what a great point on the uh, the big games actually – potentially hurting LSU. I'd never thought of it that way. Everybody loves to point to the fact, well, you hadn't played anybody, so how do you know what you are? Conversely, you're absolutely right. Because LSU has had to play people, Alabama does know what they are, and I think that can be a hindrance. There's no doubt. Uh, Good point there by you. And, Jimmy, go ahead and throw your prediction out there, bro. You know, almost just just to be ironic and and highlight the differences between now and 2011, it would be hilarious to say 39-36 because it was 9-6 to in 2011 and to show how how crazy different uh, the world is today, uh, that that Ed Orgeron has a high-flying offense, Nick Saban has a high-flying offense. So it would be fun to say 39-36, but but actually I think the defenses are, are, are a little better than that. I know the focus – has all been on the offense with with the Heisman type quarterbacks and the the spread offense and and Joe Brady the least known of of all the Brady bunch Joe Brady running the uh, the, the LSU passing game uh, you know that's been the focus uh, but uh, you know I'm not I'm not I'm not forgetting the defenders and while Alabama and LSU aren't the dominant defenses of the past they both still have dudes I mean. Fulton and Stingley and, and, and Chase on, uh, you know, at, at LSU. And let's see if Delpit is healthy and Lawrence is a good player. And, uh, you know, they, they've got some dudes. Alabama certainly has has dudes. Torrell Lewis playing better and better every week. I think Alabama has been a tremendous difference in the Alabama pass rush ever since they've gone to more of a nickel rabbit look with Torrell Lewis and Anthony Jennings on the field at the same time. So I, I, I think in the end, Alabama makes one or two extra plays on defense that that ends up making the real difference because we're going to see a lot of offense here. Uh, Texas uh, and LSU played in, uh, you know, earlier this season, week two, both quarterbacks threw for over 400 yards. I will not be surprised at all if Burrow and Tua both throw for over 400 yards uh, and have big nights. But in the end, Alabama makes two or three more big plays on defense that that end up uh, being the difference, and Alabama wins 35 to 31. I like that prediction as well, and I guess what you're saying is uh, Joe Brady is the dad of Cousin Oliver who effectively ruined the Brady Bunch series. Is that right? Yeah, I, Oliver helped uh, help, help Fonzie jump the shark there on that. that he is – Oliver, Cousin Oliver – worst Brady. Oh, worst he's, Brady. He's, Cousin Oliver was the scrappy do of the Brady Bunch. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. 
John may not even know who the hell we're talking about. He yeah, may be too John, young for it. No idea. John, John, Zero. Zero <laughs> idea. John's an actual aged. John's an actual aged person and not elderly and infirmed like us. We might as well. We might as well be discussing uh, uh, plot lines on uh, Leave It to Beaver, 1951. <laughs> the oldest Brady I'm familiar with has got to be Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, he was the most talented uh, of all the Bradys. He was the most talented yeah. one. Him and. Uh, him and uh, Marsha. Yeah, he hit her in the face with that football that time, though. That had to hurt. <laughs> um, okay, so I'll give my prediction really quickly. Look, I mean, there's so much on the line here. Uh, game days in town. And I don't know if you guys know this. It's Alabama's 47th appearance on college game day, which makes them uh, the, the most appeared school in college game day or, or that's hosted game day in some capacity. I guess hosted is the wrong word because it includes bowl games and away games or whatever. Um, Alabama's record is, is not bad on game day. It's pretty good. And, um, you know, we SEC nation will be there. This is the, I, I think effectively the de facto Heisman race in a nutshell. If both, quarterbacks play poorly I think the Heisman race continues if if one quarterback plays very very well I think the Heisman race is over so I think that's going to be something huge um it's an opportunity for Ed Orgeron to really step into the the inner circle of great coaches uh you know of which there may only be three to five in the country right now and Ed Orgeron would certainly stake his claim to being one of them now and it's also an opportunity for Nick Saban to uh, stake his claim is I'm still the biggest, baddest dog on the block and everybody's chasing me because Ed Orgeron seems to be able to beat everybody else that's not named Nick Saban. That being said, I, I think Alabama wins it too. I mean, it's locked on Bama. I'm, I should continue my streak of pre- game score predictions 48 to 14, but I won't. Uh, I'm going to say it's <laughs> – Alabama 42, LSU 30, which is – it sounds like a blowout, but I think Alabama scores late to pull away, and um, that's how I see this thing playing out. I hope I'm right. I actually did get some tickets for those who don't know and that just like to see me do well, which is very few of you. Um, I did get some tickets, so I'm excited about that, but I do have to leave at 8 o'clock in the morning to uh, to get down there. Um Really quickly, John, have you heard anything about Tua's health? I mean, do you feel like Tua is I – mean, certainly nobody's 100% this time of the year, but, I mean, is he 90%? Yeah, I don't know if, if there's a number out there. And, and if there was, I don't think it would be public. I don't think that would be something one way or the other. That, especially of all people, you know, even though he is the biggest, baddest coach on the planet, he's still uh, – Still a little paranoid uh, between Saturdays, and uh, I don't think Nick would want anything like that out there. So I don't have a number, but um, as far as I can tell, just based on temperature of, of talking to people, and I'm really on both sides of this thing. LSU is going into it like, hey, this is you know game one, hundred percent Tua slinging it, doing whatever he wants physically. Um, and to, to my understanding, Alabama is not far off of that. So um, in terms of what you can do going into a game. I think Tua is going to be in as good a shape as anyone could have hoped for, but with his situation, it's, it's not about that. It's about adjusting. It's about the, the length of the game, the wear of the game. Um, and I don't even think it's about getting hit. I think for him, it's about redirecting, um, moving in the pocket, running, things like that. Um, I think clean pocket, throwing the ball, he'll be just fine. You won't see a difference, but I'm curious 
do you design less, you know, movement, if you will, with the quarterback? And how does that help LSU if that becomes a part of the conversation? Because like you, like you mentioned, you know, Chase on's a really good pass rusher. They got a freshman, Marcel Brooks, who's kind of a gadget guy, but he's got pass rushing prowess. Um, do you, do you kind of get after Tua a little bit more uh, if you know that he's, he's going to be sort of designed to sit in the pocket? I think that could be a, an interesting part of the game as it goes on. But in terms of physically going into it, I'm, I'm really not concerned much about tracking Tua. For me, it's more second, third, fourth quarter after the adjustments and after the bullets start flying. One other thing before we get into recruiting, I don't know if either of you saw this, but uh, Terrell Lewis had a tweet that said the respect, the excuse me, the disrespect is at an all-time high. And you know, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all for whatever lights a fire under these guys' asses, but. To say that that Alabama has been disrespected, even coming from an Alabama fan, I'm like, guys, that's that's kind of not that's kind of not what's happening over here. I mean, I guess they're <laughs> saying it. Maybe that's he's using that as motivation because Alabama was ranked behind LSU in the college football playoff. But frankly, that doesn't matter because if Alabama beats LSU, Jimmy and I both believe Alabama's going to number one over Ohio State. No doubt. Yeah, I think Alabama will be number one if Alabama beats LSU. I, I suspect Alabama will be number one in the playoff rankings next week because it'll be the best win that anybody has. It'll be the best win that anybody has. And as far as what Terrell said, you know, two things. Number one, Alabama and their players really hunt for disrespect, and they have to hunt. They have to hunt hard. They have to hunt like like a a starving Elmer Fudd. That's how they (laughs) – they have to hunt that hard to find something to to disrespect them. But I think uh, us uh, us old nerds assume – Every single thing that these kids tweet is about football. And, and, you know, we follow them for football, but they actually have lives. So, so Terrell may have tweeted that after the, uh, after, you know, the, the homecoming queen only gave him six of her seven numbers and her telephone number or something. So it, it could be something like that. It could be, it could be that, that the, uh, you know, he went to, to Taco Casa and they went up five cents on their taco burger. I mean, it could be that it doesn't it it doesn't necessarily have to be football related, although that's what we old football nerds assume every time we read a tweet from any of our players that it's got to be about the team or some secret message to us about what's uh, what's going on on the inside of the program. When usually it's about a girl or a professor they don't like. Speaking of secrets. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for E.D., all from the comfort and privacy of your home. Just go to GetRoman.com slash locked to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. John Garcia, that's how you do a segue, brother. That That is like, when, you know, I went to Syracuse, you know, and, and that, that should have been day one. That should have been, hey, look, we've had all these guys come through, but we're going to start with the Locked on Bama podcast and how to segue because that – that was master's degree level, you know, teaching tape, as they say. It was it. smooth. It. it was smooth, much like tomorrow's read-in for Manscaped, our other fantastic, uh, uh, our our other fantastic sponsor, Manscaped. It was it was that smooth. Yes. Have you seen yes, those we're... commercials? They're they're absolutely hilarious. <laughs> oh, yes, they're great. They are. They are. They are. It's a it's a it's a great product, and uh, our, our segues. Uh, into and out of uh, Roman and Manscaped is uh, legendary now 
in the uh, in the podcast field. Legendary. All right, let's get into some recruiting, guys. Um, Jimmy, I say we just do a quick Q and A here with John Garcia. You pick out something, and, and then I'll go. But uh, you you go ahead and go first. All right. Well, obviously, we have an incredible list of visitors. I mean, it, it's 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 kind of like a, it's kind of like a pinata hanging over Bryant Denny, and somebody whacked it, and uh, and and forty eight five stars fell out. I mean, it's it's crazy the amount of. Uh, five star and high four stars and, 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 you know, a lot of kids are there that, that are going to end up at LSU, frankly. And, uh, and of course a bunch of kids that will end up at Alabama. Um, let, let's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm forever riddled with worry, John. So, uh, here, a nightmare scenario is, is, is Bryce Young, who is, uh, who loves Alabama, who decommitted from USC, probably a lifetime USC fan decommits, Picks Alabama, gives Alabama a ton of recruiting momentum. Now getting serious looks from some big time receivers like Rakeem Jarrett and, and Aaron Smith, who's going to be making an official this weekend. John, if if USC makes a coaching change and, and makes a splashy hire like Urban Meyer, how much how, how much should Alabama fans be worried about Bryce flipping in in such a circumstance? You know, I'm not sure. I think Bryce's flip to Alabama was like 10 months in the making. So the thought of him potentially going back, um, it just seems like, I mean, like he's going to sign next month. He's going to sign in five weeks. So I think there's almost not enough time for a kid like that who's been a name since he was, you know, 15 quarterbacks the number one high school team in the country with the biggest spotlight and on the biggest stage and the toughest division maybe um it just it's a lot for me to think that something as as chalk almost as, as a coaching change uh like like going to urban meyer would would flip him back and and you know a kid like bryce is thinking about throwing the ball prolifically and playing in the nfl and and with urban meyer that type of system first of all has thrived with bigger quarterbacks. Bryce Young is 5'10 on his best day, 180 pounds maybe. Um, and and those throwing samples that those quarterbacks under Meyer have put on tape, aside from Alex Smith, how, how many of those have been able to translate it into high draft choices and long NFL careers? You'll win in college, no doubt. Uh, but I don't know about that translation ratio, especially compared to – to Alabama recently um, and what it's going to have, obviously, with Tua uh, coming in, up in this next draft, assuming he's healthy the rest of the way. Um, and, and really, that's where I think it's still Alabama's to lose. It's the opportunity to play right now. And and that's more clear at Alabama than USC. USC's got two or three young guys who have played this year, and, and the Slovis kid has played really well. He's still a teenager. Um, bigger pro-style type guy. Um, I'm not sure if the path is as clear for Bryce to play day one there as it is in Tuscaloosa. Well, if obviously assuming that Tingle-Vailoa departs. So I just, I think all those things are in Alabama's favor. This will be his first visit since he committed. Um, this atmosphere will be unrivaled anywhere on the planet um, as far as a going to a college game, I mean the national championship won't won't have the buzz of this game, pregame pageantry, intensity, all of those things. Literally, the national title game on some neutral field won't feel the same that that this will feel uh, on Saturday. Really, morning all the way 
through the rest of the day. So I just think the timing of it, um, and really if it's urban, I think um, it's a little bit less of a worry if I'm an Alabama fan because of Alabama's offensive structure and what's in place. I don't think Sark is is going to be a guy who bolts, uh, even if he, he coaches well the rest of the year. It seems like he needs to kind of hang out for a little bit. Uh, so I do think maybe something like that could could trigger Bryce Young on, on the opposite way residually. But, um, again, he's signing December 18th. So I think that's the best thing going for Alabama because once that thing is, is penned, it's a wrap. I feel better already. John, yeah, I do too. Uh, John, who is the best non-five-star, or, or maybe put it another way, who's the guy that's going to be at the game – that has a chance to be bumped up to a five-star? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, well, I mean, pretty much the whole country is going to be at this game, so I can kind of just go look at the rankings and pick a guy. But, you know, I, I think, I mean, Aaron Smith, I mean, 24-7 is much higher on him than anybody else because of, of his athletic traits. Watch his tape. Watch him run. Look at his size. D- do you not see Henry Ruggs? mold there um and, and if there was a chance that that he could be close to, to Henry Ruggs which we still don't really know or maybe appreciate how good and explosive this kid is if I'm an NFL GM he's the first Alabama receiver I'm considering taking and that's no slight at Jerry Judy or Devontae Smith or even Jalen Waddle down the road I mean I just think Ruggs is that much more of a game breaker you cannot teach those things Arian Smith 10-3 in the 100. I mean, I, I'll always go back to this play whenever I think of him. He, he's playing receiver, um, and they're near the goal line, about to score. He's at the top of the screen, and the quarterback, it's like a pick six or a fumble on the bottom of the screen, and it's a DB who picks it up. Um, so naturally, he's running down the field, easy score, and it looks like, and, and here comes Arian Smith. He doesn't catch him at the one, guys. And again, this is a defensive back playing high-level football in, in Florida. He catches him like at the 15 um, when he was running, you know, he had 53, literally 53 yards of, of room to make up. And he did so in, in about 85 yards of space. I mean, this is the type of speed that this kid possesses. Now, is he polished? No. Is he experienced? No. I mean, he still might be a defensive back. I'm not sure. But just the, the athletic profile of a kid like that, it just it feels like Henry Ruggs, who we were watching play quarterback at this time of his senior year, and he was the best player on the field, even though he didn't really know what he was doing. Um, so I think he's a guy that um, we're really high on that other people should kind of catch up on and Alabama fans should really be excited about to have on campus because he is, he is that type of athlete. And I think um, in today's football, those are the guys you bet on more so than maybe the polished guy who can do all of the things you want to see him do at the collegiate level already. I think you go with the upside and the ceiling guy um, just because he has that, that potential to be great once he does figure all that stuff out. John, uh, when, when, when Roy Dell Williams first became sort of well-known all over Alabama, he was at, he was at a certain place in the composite. And, and, and since that time, he has been a guy that has been, a, an extremely steady riser. Each re-ranking uh, in the composite and on 24-7, almost all, all the networks, uh, Roy Dell is a guy who who moves up at every re-ranking. Uh, do you feel that uh, that Roy Dell is, uh, is, you know, a phrase that I use is, is an, a national elite back, meaning that 
this is a guy that that belongs on everyone's list as one of the top six or eight backs in, in the in the United States. Is is Roy Dale Williams that good in your opinion? I think he's right there. And in this class, this is a this is a running back dream class. I mean, this is this feels like what was it twenty was it thirteen when it was like Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry? Yes. I um, mean, maybe right. Fournette was in that group or very close. There was a year where there was like eight five star running backs. Um, it feels like that this year. Um, and Roydell's right, sort of on the cusp of that. And what makes it impressive, guys, is that of the let's say ten best backs in the country, there is not even a hesitation for me to say. Roy Dale Williams has been seen the least in person of all of those guys. We don't have verified speed numbers. We don't have proof that he can play well out of the backfield. We don't have camps and combines. And really, I mean, gosh, I'm guilty of not even seeing the kid play live yet. Um, And and I cover the state. I would like to think as well as anyone, how many people have seen this kid really work, which tells you that purely on tape against good competition in the Birmingham area, He's still that much better than a lot of backs in this class, and he's still worthy of the benefit of the doubt. So I think running back is one of those positions where obviously you want to see production and all of these things, but we also want to go see the kids. And we've kind of failed as an industry with Roy Dell, but to still have him rank that high today I think tells you why he's been such a riser. And when we finally do go see him, I'm going to go ahead and guess that we're going to be really impressed because he just looked like, kind of a, a complete, almost old-school running back, uh, just a, a big, strong, downhill guy. But he doesn't get caught from behind, which is why there's, there's really not a whole lot of worry about those of us nerds who don't maybe don't have that 40-time or shuttle-time verified. Um, John, one other thing about Roy Dell, and I didn't know this. I wondered why it was that Briarwood beat them 7 to nothing last week, but Roy Dale's been out the last couple of weeks. And and in fact, uh, it's probably only like 75% or 80% he plays this week. I think he will, but uh, in the first round of the playoffs for the AHSA, by the way, everybody, you can catch John Garcia. He calls into our AHSA scoreboard show every Friday night around 1115, somewhere in that neighborhood. And we always have a great conversation with him. So be sure to tune in on that. You can catch it on Facebook live. Um, John, I want because we're beginning to run out of time. We we get forty five minutes on this thing, and um, man, the clock starts ticking soon as I soon as I click the button. Um, so I'm going to throw out a few names, and and Jimmy, if you want to just do some quick fire names too, just let me know. But uh, I'm going to give you three names, and I want you to tell me uh, it, in a sentence or two Alabama's chances with each one of them. I'm going to say Philip Webb, Reggie Grimes, and Javion Cohen. Uh, Philip Webb, obviously, I mean, he's he's the hardest to track of this group. Um, I think there's a positional question with him, but I do think that there's a little bit more buzz with with other schools. Clemson has, has kind of always felt like they can grab him, um, but it depends for them on what happens with Justin Flo, I believe. So there's a couple of dominoes that could affect Philip Webb, but this is a, a no doubt top 100 kid who can play uh, as a traditional inside guy or rush the passer. Kind of reminds me of Chris Allen. I think Bama's chances are solid there. Javian Cohen, you got to get him on campus. He was scheduled to visit Alabama a couple of weeks ago. Didn't make the trip. I mean, there's there's been times he's scheduled to visit Auburn where he's committed, where he hadn't visited. Uh, this is the clear 
uh, top offensive tackle in the state. To me, a guy I've, I've fought for to be a member of the top 247, getting better every day. And now he's up to 300 pounds and still playing athletic like he did as a junior at, at 250, 260. Uh, and then who's the third there? I'm sorry. Grimes. Uh, I think uh, Luke asked about Reggie Grimes. Oh. Yeah, Reggie Grimes. Reggie Grimes. That felt like Alabama's race to lose if it wants to win that race. Um, and I still feel that way today. John, I would ask about this, not not specifically naming names, but but space is always an issue. Nick Saban plays with a different type of math than than the rest of us, where where you know uh, obviously there's only a certain amount of kids that Alabama can take. Alabama rushes up to about three or four short of that number, and then still appears to lead on 25 additional kids. Uh, that that's just right. kind of the way it works. But uh, of the, I think there's 23 right now off the top of my head. There's 23 commits right now, maybe 24, but I think it's 23. Uh, you don't have to name names, but but how many of the kids publicly committed to Alabama right now would you guess won't actually sign with Alabama in December or February? Yeah, there's there's one instater who's not small who I think you guys could figure out who I don't believe will sign with Alabama uh, for on-field reasons. There's at least one lineman who I know has potential academic questions there late down the stretch. Uh, so that's at least two that I think today I would bet on on them not signing. With Alabama, uh, I know there is a Floridian on the bubble. Uh, and there's another instater who – who Alabama, to my understanding, Alabama wants, and I'm not naming names purposely, obviously. Um, there's an instater who Alabama wants to keep who continues to inquire about other schools. And it's I've never seen that in the history of covering Alabama. I've never seen it. Maybe it's a pressure thing. Maybe it's a I need I want to play the freshman thing. I, I don't know, uh, but it's been very odd. Um, and that hasn't been very public. So I'm wondering if that continues, you know, how Alabama reacts to it once it's time to send out the letters of intent for these kids to sign December 18th. Uh, so I do think there's some in-state movement ahead. Uh, and there's a couple out-of-state kids that, that I think are on the bubble as well. So this 23 could very well be more like a, a 19 or a 20 or 21 uh, as we currently look at it, which leaves room for Bama to add four or five more guys, which is, of course, always dangerous, intriguing, scary, all, all of the above. That's funny. I, I want to ask you, John, how do coaches know that players are are asking around? You know what I mean? How how do they find that out? I mean, do they find it out through other players? It's not like they have spies in other coaching staffs. You still with me, John? We met Jimmy, are you there? Uh we I'm lost here. John. Uh we lost John. I don't I'll know answer. what happened. I'll, John, John will know better than me. I'll answer it anyway. Just, you know, these coaches, they, they do talk to each other. That's one way. The coaches actually talk to each other. They talk about it a little bit. I know, I know that. That I wouldn't say, you know, and some of it is uh, is almost uh, spy spy talk and, and, and what do they call it? Uh, 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 you know, that, that, but there, there's just a lot of talk. There's also talk with, from, from any number of sources, high school coaches, family members, other kids, other kids, kids you're recruiting. Uh, will tell on the other kids. I mean, I mean, there, there, there's all sorts of ways uh, that the coaches gather information like that. Uh, John, are you back with us? I'm back, fellas. Sorry about that. Uh, did you happened. get Did you get my question? I did not. 
Okay. What I asked was, and Jimmy explained it, but maybe you have another outlook. I said, how in the world do coaches know that commitments they have are turning over rocks to see what else is out there? Because it's not like they have spies on other coaching staffs. And you would think that if a kid were doing something like that, it would be pretty clandestine. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the way I look at it is if I know, then they should. <laughs> so um, usually, usually <laughs> there's just enough. In this day and age, man, there's, there's, it's hard to keep things down. I mean, look at these coaching searches, man. It's, sometimes the, the kids on the roster know the coach is getting fired before the coach does. It just gets out so uh, fluidly. Um, so I just, I'm not sure uh, exactly how. Uh, they would figure it out, but, man, there's, there's just so much information out there, whether it be the high school coach, the parents, the kid themselves slipping, the kid on social media, a mentor, a trainer, a friend, a reporter. There's just so many avenues for it to come out. Um, and I heard you mention something about the other commits. Those kids know more than all the coaches. They yeah. know everything. Um, Bryce Young, I guarantee you, is running the show. Um, he's a little late to the party, but he's running the show with all the commits. And they know – for more, you know, for better or worse, who's who's in and who's not, um, and that stuff does travel. I mean, I'm sure Bryce Young is going to get sat down this weekend. One for recruiting and to solidify everything, but two, how to finish their recruiting class as a whole because he's the quarterback. He's the he's the the magnet that that should draw more people in. So the kids know most, um, and, and that stuff typically is hard to keep under wraps. Uh, one of the guys I'm talking about, uh, and, and who who might be on the bubble was at another school and, and everybody knew something was up when the kid was there and his body language was really bad. And, and when you found out why it was cause he was, he was looking elsewhere and, and didn't get the news he wanted to get. Um, so those things are hard for teenagers to hide more times than not. Um, so often it gets out and it, it does get to the coaches. I'm sure they're surprised sometimes, but it's pretty rare. Well, John, man, thank you so much for being with us today. You're the best in the business. Love having you on this uh, podcast. Love listening to Crimson and Blue Chips. Thankful it's back. Uh, people can check it out at is it at CABC? What it you tell me? Pod. Yeah. C, CABC <laughs> yeah, the Pod. Twitter is CABC Pod. Uh, YouTube channel is kind of our home base there. Uh, Crimson and Blue Chips. Just search it on YouTube. Subscribe. Um, we're looking forward to jumping back on there as, as much as we can. And we just want to be like you guys. You guys set the standard, and we're just trying to follow in your footsteps. <laughs> yeah, you have 17.7 thousand followers, and Jimmy and I, I think our parents follow us on Twitter. So uh, My mom does not follow me. My mom does not follow me. She doesn't think I'm funny at all. Your mom blocked you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Amazing. Um, all right, John, thanks again, buddy. And, and where can every, everybody see you besides CABC pod? Uh, at John Garcia underscore junior, right? Yes, sir. That's the Twitter account. We'll be uh, we'll be busy a lot. I think I'm going to tweet during the game this week, and I usually don't do it, but I just think this one this one will be fun to kind of sit back and maybe open one and and get online. Why not? Man, I dig it, and I will certainly. I hope to see you this year again at the Super and Seven in Jordan Hare. That's the plan, sir. Absolutely. All right, buddy. Thank you, John Thank, and Jimmy. Thank you, John. Roll. Thank you, John. Thank you, fellas. Roll Tide, Jimmy. Roll Tide, Luke. Uh, let's beat LSU. All right, guys, we'll talk to you next week.